Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a mental health platform that provides direct online counseling and therapy services via web or phone text communication. You don't even need to use flu powder in order to access a therapist through BetterHelp. I think we can all tell in book five that if you keep your feelings bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off of your chest if you don't have access to Dumbledore's office. I know in my life, therapy has helped me identify patterns to help me interrupt ones that I don't feel like are healthy and find better ways to cope. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash sacred text today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash sacred text. Chapter 9, A Place to Hide. Everything seemed fuzzy, slow. Harry and Hermione jumped to their feet and drew their wands. Many people were only just realizing that something strange had happened. Heads were still turning toward the silver cap as it vanished. I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And I'm Caspar Terkyle. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. A big thank you to our special patrons this week, Katie Ironside, Clara Malley, Haley Cleary, Eva Peak, and Rachel Bickham. That sounds like an amazing rock group that I want to be part of. Absolutely. And Claire O'Malley, if you're the Claire O'Malley I know, email me. <laughs> Let's set a date. Oh my God, I miss you. <laughs> we also would like to shout out our amazing local group in Bloomington, Indiana, Lil Bub's Army, which I am very anti-armies, but I would join one called Lil Bub's. Lil Bub's Army. And it's run by the fantastic Jillian Applegate. You can find out more about all of our local groups at harrypottersacredtext.com, which is also where you can learn more about our summer camp. And we really hope to see a lot of you there. Casper, it's your turn to tell a story through the theme of relief. What story do you have for us today? So when I was in my early 20s, I was really involved in organizing young people on climate change. And at that point in the UK, there were amazing activist movements happening all across the country trying to block large fossil fuel 
projects. So coal-fired power plants, airports, you know, places, industries that emit a lot of carbon and, and are therefore really damaging to the climate. And one organization called Climate Camp was targeting a power plant in the southeast of England, where I live. And so together with some friends, I went along. And it was a direct action. So it was taking a risk, doing something that was ostensibly illegal by camping in a field next to this big power plant. And the idea was that the following day, we would wake up and then march in lots of different marches to the site of this of this power plant and shut it down as this kind of powerful act, symbolizing that we needed to shift away from fossil fuels. And, you know, I'd packed my sleeping bag and my little mattress. You know, I was like, okay, I'm going to be brave. We're going to do this. And at first, everything seemed really kind of like a festival, right? People were singing, there were guitars, just kind of like a hippie-ish vibe. It was great. But as it started to become darker, the police that had been kind of around the edges of the fields started to make their presence more known. And they were in pretty much riot gear. They had shields, there were batons, there were these kind of metal gates that they were setting up. And so we were being hemmed into the field. And it it started to feel, I was scared. Like I was, I was a little frightened, but you know, the campfires continued and off we went to bed one by one. And as I lay in my tent, suddenly there was like the sound of helicopters overhead. And there were these lights being shone into the field from the sides where the police were and really loud music was being played. And I don't think I slept at all that night. And it was clearly a strategy by the police to disrupt the sleep of of the protesters and to intimidate everyone. And my God, it worked. Like I was freaking terrified. I can't even remember what happened the next day, honestly. All I remember is arriving back home and just being so relieved that I was safe and that I could like go to my mom and just like lie on the sofa and hide. And it was it was such a shock for me because I'd always been raised that if you need help, you go to the police and to suddenly be in a situation where the police were really aggressive, really intentionally disrupting, aggravating, you know, having a helicopter right over your tent for hours on end, you're not going to fall asleep. And what I realized was that I got to go home. I got to experience relief, right? I could step out of that choice that I'd made to be part of the protest. And I think something that we are seeing really clearly, and by we, I mean white people in America and really around the world right now, we're seeing that for black people in America, there is never relief. And I'm so reminded, there's this wonderful interview when Nina Simone is asked, what is freedom? And she says, Freedom is not having to be afraid. Like freedom is no fear. And what we're confronting right now as a society, thank God, is the fact that there are a lot of people who never get to feel that relief. And so I've always remembered that moment so clearly. And I think to some extent, we see echoes of that in this chapter. Hermione, Ron, and Harry escape from the wizarding world into the muggle world, hoping that that's where they'll be safe, right? They'll be away from the Death Eaters. And they're sitting in this little cafe and these two people come in and then they suddenly realize, no, these are Death Eaters. And whether it's because of the trace or something else, they realize they're never going to be able to feel relief. They're always going to feel the stress, the fear of Voldemort coming closer, being ever-present, being such a danger. And so that feeling of relief is taken away from them. And that's what I want to explore in this chapter is who who gets to feel relief even and how. Casper, thank you so much for that really difficult story. And I think that 
It also just speaks to me of the global militarization of police. I Mm. naively thought that this was an American problem, but the fact that that also happened in England is incredibly disturbing and distressing to me. Oh, it's just the beginning of what they did to the climate movement. I mean, there were undercover police officers who dated women in the movement, who formed like multi-year long relationships with people in the movement. Once you start looking, it's ugly, ugly, ugly. Luckily, there is beauty in the world and it's coming in the form of your 30 second recap, Vanessa. So 30 seconds on the clock. Are you ready to help us remember what happens in chapter nine? Can you count me in? All right, here we go. 30 seconds on the clock. Three, two, one, go. So the wedding has Death Eaters at it and Hermione is like, run, run, where are you? And she has Harry and then she finds Ron and then they operate to the middle of London and people are street harassing young girls and they go to a cafe and they order cappuccino and Ron is like, oh my God, cappuccino is disgusting. And then the Death Eaters show up at the cafe and there's like a big um, brouhaha and the waitress, um, Hermione has to obliviate the memories of the Death Eaters and the waitress and they clean it up and Ron's like, why do I ever have to clean anything? And then they go to Grimald Place and Hermione is like scared and Harry's heart, scar hurts and they all sleep together. Not in a dirty way. <laughs> like in a tent way. Like in a platonic way. Beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. It is your turn, Casper, for a 30-second recap. Would you like to catch us all up? Here we go. On your mark, get set, go. So Hermione is a genius because she's packed a bag and it has like everything in it, including the invisibility cloak and a change of clothes and books and blah, 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 blah. And so they're in Tottenham Court Road, which I know well. And then they find what we call in England a greasy spoon cafe. Um, and then, um, you know, they order some food or drinks. And then there's a fight because the two Death Eaters show up and they're like, oh, my God, we're never going to be safe. So they're like, OK, well, let's go to Grimmauld Place. And then the, shri- the screaming picture. And then Harry's like, I've got to go to the bathroom because not because I've got a big fart, but because I'm about to have another intimate moment with Voldemort. Wow, neither of us could do that without saying borderline inappropriate things. (laughs) It's just that kind of day. (laughs) (laughs) So I want to talk about Ron. Me too. He is like the star of this chapter. Yeah, there's a lot going on with him. And the first place where I really saw relief was when he says to Harry, you're the boss sounding profoundly relieved, right? So we've got the word in the text, which is always a great starting point. But I know exactly what Ron means. Like, is there anything better than when you, maybe you're a parent or you're managing someone at work or you're just responsible for a lot of things and someone else suddenly has to make decisions. There can be such a joyful moment of relief when you're not in charge anymore because it's just this sense of like, I'm safe. Other people are going to look after me. And I just feel like Ron is, he doesn't want to have to make the decision of what to do. And so it's just a joyful relief for him to give that responsibility to Harry. Yeah. And Ron is not someone who we think of as anxious, right? I guess I sort of think of him as like so oblivious that he doesn't hold a lot of anxiety. But he, in this chapter, I just think that we see how scared he is about his family, right? He's like, maybe we can go to the Leaky Cauldron. And they're like, Ron, we can't go to the Leaky Cauldron. The Death Eaters will find us. And he's like, not to stay, just to find out if my family is okay. He is so concerned in a way that is so beautiful. He is not safe. And rather than focusing on his lack of safety, he is like, I know I'm alive. And so he is concerned about his family. 
And what is amazing to me is that when he finds out that his family is is safe and that they're all alive and okay for now, you don't get a sense that it's this overwhelming sense of relief, right? It seems like a micro relief, like, Mm. okay, they're safe for now. But he knows that relief isn't going to come for months or years. And I think that that just spoke to me of, you know, this moment in the coronavirus where we are like, I don't know when when the sense of relief is going to come. There are micro reliefs of maybe you're worried that someone is sick and they get out of the hospital or you're worried someone has the virus and they get tested and it was just a cold. But the big relief of there's a vaccine and everyone has had it, it hasn't come and we don't know when it's going to come. And I think Ron is sort of holding that space for us in this chapter. So do you do you think relief is when those burdens are taken away? Is that the fullness of what we mean when we say the word relief? Is it like we've experienced something that's felt like an imposition or a limit to our freedom? And then relief is the feeling of like having autonomy, having choice, having that freedom again. I think that relief is never complete. Once you have a scare with your child that they have a health problem, and then it turns out that it's nothing, you feel better. You are relieved. Right. But now you're aware that your child can be sick and you went through the trauma of the fear. And so I don't think that human relief can ever be a hundred percent. And I think that it is like entirely on a gradation of like, okay, I'm 5% relieved. We've made a little bit of progress or I'm 90% relieved. Oh my goodness. But I think that once an anxiety or a trauma happens, we carry that with us. And I've gotten a lot interested and only a tiny bit educated on the idea of epigenetics and Mm. the ways that our bodies carry trauma that our psyches think we are relieved of. Yeah. And so I just think that there are different kinds of relief. I just don't think that they're ever complete. And I actually think it's a great way to think about it of Harry going into that bathroom. I think he's relieved to not have to perform being okay for Hermione and Ron. And he's relieved to just stop fighting and succumb to the pain. But now he has to deal with the pain. And so I don't think that being human allows for relief. And that is part of becoming an adult, unfortunately, which is why we as adults begin to become more and more comfortable with compromises that when we were younger, we would have never thought that we would endure. There are going to be helicopters. There are going to be relationships that I can't trust because the police is going to infiltrate in ways I never thought of. And even now that you're out of those situations, you're never going to be relieved of the burden of knowing that. Mm. And so I just think that there is a level of original sin or corruption or capitalism or white supremacy or hurt the patriarchy, you know, and some combination of all of this, Hmm. that relief is not one of the gifts of being human. Yeah. But I think that the model that we are shown in this chapter is the way that we can create community when there isn't relief. 
Right. And and that's what I think is really striking is that each of the characters has moments when they're the ones who are lost or at their wits end. And it's someone else who offers some sort of solution. You know, Hermione, who's been carrying so much of the responsibility once they get to Grim Old Place, is the one who's really, really frightened. She's frightened by the noises, by these anti-Snape spells that have been set up. We see this sort of ghostly Dumbledore kind of wash over them, she is terrified. And that's when Ron and Harry can kind of accompany her. She says, I don't want to sleep on my own and for every good reason. And so, you know, she's welcomed in to snuggle all together. I can just see them on the floor, just like in their in their little sleeping bags. And so the way in which they look after each other, I think is, is really lovely. And there's no nastiness to one another or, or kind of taking out the blame on one another. And that that was really lovely to see because they're, they're going to struggle with that later. But there's, there's a real camaraderie, solidarity, a sense of being in it together as much as they can be, which is beautiful. And I think, you know, to me, it's like all symbolized in Hermione offering Harry his toothbrush. He is in pain. He is finally letting this just like wash over him. And the thing that pulls him out is Hermione knocking on the bathroom door and saying, I have your toothbrush. Do you want it? And he has to answer that, right? Like she would get nervous if he didn't. Like that is a call out of this moment of spiraling. And, you know, it reminds me of the moment earlier in the books when Hermione comes to him with toast. We can't lift these burdens off of each other, but we can bring bread, but we can bring toothbrushes. And I think that that is the grace that we can offer each other. We can go to protests. We can stand in solidarity. And it's not enough. And the relief is never going to be complete. But it is what we are capable of. And I, I love that the trio is just demonstrating that so beautifully. There's some real trust, not just among the trio, but also we we get this note from Arthur, right? Once they're at Grimmauld Place, this Patronus that we've seen Kingsley send in the previous chapter saying, you know, they're coming, the ministry has fallen. We're now seeing Arthur use the same kind of technology, magical spell to say, everyone is safe, do not respond. I don't know. I found that such a sign of maturity from Arthur to say like, I can tell you we're safe. I know I'm not going to hear from you. I, I know it's too dangerous for that. And so there's a sort of foregoing of relief in order to maintain safety, which in some ways, like that's the job description of a parent, right? <laughs> like you, like, as you said, like you never get to feel that from what I understand. And it, it was such a generous act because it, it gave them, it gave Ron, especially this inner okayness that he can then take with him on the next leg of the journey. But I, I just thought that was a real generous kind of nearly sacrificial moment that we see from Arthur who elsewhere maybe likes to break the rules a little bit or bends with <laughs> car regulations. But here is really a smart, smart man. Ugh, I hadn't noticed that at all. And it's so beautiful. And I love that. I love that as a model for what it means to be a parent or what it means to take responsibility of I'll hold the anxiety. You just take the relief. Ugh, that's so beautiful. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? 
helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason, you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Casper, can I direct us to another moment in the text that I think is quite remarkable, and I'm not sure how it has to do with relief. (laughs) (laughs) So Harry has a vision in which he's watching Voldemort force Draco to torture Raoul, one of the Death Eaters. And Harry allows himself to feel pity for Draco, which I think is a pretty incredible thing, right? That he still sees Draco as enough of just something not entirely enemy that he can feel sorry for him. And I'll say I felt relief at that, right? Yeah. I was like, yeah. oh, that that's lovely. And that is sort of going to be what saves Harry and Draco at the end of the books, right? Like Harry cannot let Draco die in that like big fire in the room of requirement at the end of the books. And Narcissa is going to save Harry. And so creating this, I still see your humanity is going to save both of them. And so I'm wondering what you make of this moment that he is not like, well, you're getting yours, Draco sucks, but is instead able to still conjure like real sympathy. That is such a good question. On the one hand, I can imagine that sometimes it's easier for us to put all of the blame on one person, but I don't think that's what's happening here. I think in this case, Harry is realizing that in some ways, Draco actually has it worse than he has. You know, Harry is able to be an active, like he's an agent in fighting back to Voldemort, right? He's, at the moment he's escaping, but he has a mission, right? He knows he has to destroy the Horcruxes. That's what he's setting out to do. And I think what he's seeing looking at Draco is is that Draco kind of accepted a Faustian pact and is now on the other side of it and there is no way out. It's either he's torturing Raoul or he's the one being tortured. That is the choice. There is no escape. 
And so I don't want to say that Harry feels like relief at having the mission, but at least there is a purpose that Harry has that that can contribute to the ending of this suffering. It's not like, oh, I love Draco or like, hey, let's go right. practice Quidditch together. That's That's not what's going on. But I think in seeing Draco, he recognizes something in himself that maybe he'd lost sight of or, or realizes the worth of again. Sort of uh, the sort of the opposite of Schadenfreude, right? Rather than taking pleasure in someone else's pain, someone else's pain makes you feel lucky that you're not in that situation. And and there's guilt associated with that, right? You're like, oh, it's terrible that like I'm taking pleasure that I'm not in their situation. But also, you know, another way to talk about that is counting your blessings, right? Of like seeing all of the ways that you're lucky and privileged. Do you think there's a long German word for that experience too? Almost definitely. <laughs> I actually see this idea of relief just in one last small place, which is the relief that Hermione has packed. Seriously, seriously. The boys are like, I don't have my invisibility cloak. I don't have a change of clothes. I'm going to be walking around in robes for the rest of my life. <laughs> and there's just this relief of, no, I have everything. And the moments of grace with that, you have just shown up empty handed and somebody else is willing to share, right? And is willing to look out for you. And I feel like, again, like that's the kind of grace and relief that we can offer each other. And of course, it's an unfair burden that's put on Hermione. And Ron does this like really dumb comment of like, you packed my old jeans. These don't fit right. But just what a beautiful moment of relief that Hermione has just sort of taken care of everything. It's extraordinary. And she's been ready for a couple of days. I mean, it's incredible that she she had this instinct that she knew it was coming. I mean, she said, I had a feeling. How do you think she knew? Like, because I'm so interested in that sense that sometimes in our bodies, we know things unconsciously before we know them consciously. And that can be very challenging and problematic because that's where bias comes from and, and various other things. But at the same time, it can also give us insight and a kind of a forewarning about danger that's coming. Like, why does Hermione have that, do you think? I think she has it as a muggle born in a wizarding world, right? I think that her identity as a minority has given her, and this is a, an idea that you taught me, right? That it has given her like a prophet's eye or something that looks like a prophet's eye to the people who are in the majority class, right? We know that people on the margins see the cracks in the foundations before people with privilege do. And Hermione has had to think about this. She's had to think about how to protect her parents, she has had to think about the potential hate that she might be dealing with because of who her parents are. She, because of her identity, has had to be thinking about this for a really long time. Yeah, absolutely. What a relief that we know that this book ends with Voldemort dead. I couldn't handle not knowing that. With all as well. Yes. Vanessa, we're going to continue with our practice of Lectio Divina, and I'm going to choose a sentence at random from this chapter, chapter nine. Never mind what they're called, said Hermione a little hysterically. 
Never mind what they're called, said Hermione a little hysterically. So the first step of Lectio is, of course, just to read the sentence narratively, what's happening in the text. And this is the moment after the fight with the two Death Eaters, when Ron recognizes one of them, he says, that's Dolohov. I recognize him from the old Wanted posters. I think the big one's Thorfinn Rowell. So Hermione's like, it's not the point who they are. The point is they attacked us and they're clearly Death Eaters. We have to get out of here. I mean, there's still a sign on the door that says open. Like people can walk into the scene of chaos in any moment. And Ron's like, oh, that's Dolohoff. <laughs> I remember him. Um, so that's step one. <laughs> in defense of Ron, that is exactly what I would do too. I'd be like, oh gosh, I know them. <laughs> It's like recognizing your biology teacher in the supermarket. You're like, oh, my God, that's Mrs. So-and-so. Totally. And like you see someone on a wanted poster, they're like a famous criminal. And you're like, oh, am I a big enough deal that they're sending out the famous criminals for me? (laughs) I'm with Ron. I'm also with Hermione. But like I would play both these parts. Well, and the sentence that comes after is also important because we're told Hermione is a little hysterical, which we'll talk about, no doubt. But then the next sentence is, how did they find us? What are we going to do? Like the implications of the situation to Hermione are just like three steps beyond where Ron is at. Like she understands that now nowhere in the muggle world is safe. And Ron is still like, oh, wow, we just had a fight. That's interesting. So to some extent, we're we're just seeing the kind of continuation of, of Hermione's brain brilliance. So let's move to step two. I want us to think allegorically what images, what stories, songs, poems are we reminded of by this sentence? Never mind what they're called, said Hermione a little hysterically. What are you, what are you reminded of? Where does your brain go? It goes to all of the different like stories that have been told, the great like movies and plays about the history of women's hysteria. Hmm. Basically, the idea was that women during the Victorian era in England, right? You know, right as Freud is writing about psychotherapy for the first time, women are incredibly depressed and distressed. They have no ownership of any assets. They have no control over their own lives. If they are being abused at home and say anything about it, their own children can be taken away from them by the husband. Everything belongs to the men in their lives. And their response was seen as hysterical and is diagnosably hysterical. And again, right, like this word is used for Hermione and obviously it now has this other meaning, right? Like I will say about myself that I was hysterically crying, that I, you know, am crying past the point of where I can control it. I like can't get a hold of it. But I I do wonder if it's one of those words that we want to stop using Sometimes crying beyond the ability to stop it is the right thing to do. And Hermione's not being hysterical. She's being completely rational. Right. I just wonder what other words we would use there instead of hysterical. Urgently, Mm. panicking, like quite reasonably concerned. It is a very gendered word that comes from a very specific moment in history. Yeah, I'm thinking of Nora in the doll's house in relationship to that kind of Victorian mentality of of gender dynamics. I'm also thinking of the word they're called, right? The idea of naming things. I'm thinking of in the Christian mythology and the, the Jewish mythology, the creation myth, where Adam names different animals. 
And there's this wonderful book by Robin Wall Kimmerer called Braiding Sweetgrass, where she imagines this joint venture of, uh, gosh, I can't remember which great scientist, walking around with one of the indigenous creation story mythological characters. And one is naming their form and one is naming their spirit. So this idea of like, who gets to name the world, I'm reminded of that as well. Oh, I love that. And that also speaks to the wisdom of Ron, like figuring out who they are might be helpful later. Well, that's really interesting because, of course, we see this character at the, one of these two being tortured by Draco at the very end. So already kind of putting together those pieces. Let's let's move to step three. And so now we're going to ask ourselves, what in our own lives are we reminded of by this sentence? Never mind what they're called, said Hermione a little hysterically. I mean, this sounds like every bad group project I was part of in graduate school. <laughs> like when you feel like one thing is really urgent and important and you're like, this is supposed to be what we're focusing on. And like other people are going off on tangents, which are not related to the question at hand. And I am not at my best <laughs> when I'm put into a group with people I don't want to work with. <laughs> <laughs> At least Hermione and Ron have chosen for this, but nonetheless. <laughs> it just makes me wonder, like, it reminds me of the moments of crisis where my family are all together and one person wants to focus on one thing and another person wants to focus on another. And like, of course, I think that I'm right. And I think everyone else is just being <laughs> stupid and distracted by the wrong things when I think similar to Ron and Hermione in this moment, they're both right and we're all right. And those right. are all the things we need to focus on and stepping back. And instead of being like, that's not what's the most important. Instead being like, yes, good point. Let's add that to the list. Right. Right. We think of these moments as zero sum games when really like an extra five seconds or an extra moment of thought might change everything. So let's move to step four. Um, and this is where we ask ourselves, what is the text asking of us? Never mind what they're called, said Hermione, a little hysterically. Yeah, I think I feel called to not just strike the word hysterical from my vocabulary, but at least when dealing with people who I love and trust, striking the word irrelevant. I do think that irrelevancy is often a strategy, certainly one that like Trump employs. He will start talking about things that have nothing to do with the matter at hand. But I go around and decide often like, well, that's irrelevant. That's not what the matter at hand is. Mm. And, you know, specifically, I think it's something I say to my little brother a lot. He'll bring a concern to me and I'll be like, well, that's not the concern. The concern is this. And to some extent, right, like these moments are hard because I think he he calls me in those moments the way that you love when a boss comes in, right? Like he's calling me to be the boss and I want to answer that call for him. But I think when in doubt, sort of chaplaincy and listening and holding space is the way rather than coming in with a hammer. I like that. It's so interesting. What I'm thinking about is, 
you know, during the coronavirus lockdown, we've all been at home much more. And in some ways, I've used that time to get to know people in my building a little bit more. So especially as it's nice and warmer outside, we're seeing each other a bit more. So this week, one of my neighbors came up to me and like shared these beautiful like lettuce greens that her friend's dad had some farm. I don't know. The lettuce was delicious. And I was like, oh, what can I share back straight away? And Sean had baked this delicious key lime pie. And so I gave some slices of the key lime pie. But I can't remember her name. And it's it's not like we were we were ever formally introduced, like maybe once I heard her name. And like, I just need to find out what she's called. And so that's what <laughs> that's what I'm gonna do. <laughs> Does she know your name? Does she call you by your name? I don't think so. I mean, maybe. It might be an invitation. Like she might not know your name. Right. I think that's the generous way, right? Like, just I'm Vanessa. Can you remind me your name? Yeah. Right? Like Right. That's what I'll do. Thank you, Vanessa. (laughs) Thank you, Casper. It's time for our voicemail. And this week, we're going to hear from Shannon. Hi, Vanessa, Casper, and Ariana. My name is Shannon, and I'm an undergraduate health sciences student from Toronto. I was listening to your episode on Book 6, Chapter 29, where you mentioned how Fleur kind of pretended to not know what Molly meant when they were in the hospital room with Bill. You guys kind of laughed about this part, and it is funny, but I think it also has a deeper importance, especially around the idea of power, the theme for that episode. I went to a conference recently where a medical student was speaking about how when a doctor says something that's borderline inappropriate, one of the tactics they're given as students, who obviously have less power than the doctor they're shadowing, is to ask, what did you mean by that? And how that sentence holds a lot of power to cause the doctor to rethink and realize that what they said maybe wasn't appropriate. And I just find it really interesting how even in this scene in Harry Potter, this kind of keeping in check with regards to what is saying is happening in a hospital environment. I think that kind of setting and the unique stressors it brings can cause us to say things that we may not normally say. And it's so important for people, especially professionals, um, to be acting with dignity and kindness in those kinds of environments. And for those with less power, like Fleur, to be given those kinds of tools to be able to encourage that kind of environment without fear and to keep it professional, kind, and to keep those around them kind of in check in that way. Anyway, I love your guys' podcast. I listen to it every week, and it's truly the highlight of my week. Thanks so much. Oh, Shannon, I love that. What a great strategy. That's so smart. So you just say, hey, can you help me understand what you mean by that? I really, I really like that. Thank you, Shannon. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app, and when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the borough. Download the Redfin app to get started. Hold up. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Caspar, it is now time to offer a blessing for someone in the chapter. Who would you like to bless? We haven't talked about the waitress in the cafe at all. And she must be freaked out. I mean, first of all, you never want like a fight or a disruption in your store, but these people are (laughs) like conjuring ropes at each other. I mean, they are going at each other. Suddenly there's a third person out of nowhere because Harry's been under the, (laughs) the invisibility cloak. So I can just imagine that she is completely traumatized and she's gonna wake up not knowing what happened. So I just, I just really feel for this waitress because no one is going to help her understand and no one can. She doesn't get a name talking about names. We don't even know what she's called. So I want to bless the waitress for surviving. Yeah, that's beautiful. And also bless her because Ron is rude about the cappuccino. Also true. Although if you're going to a greasy spoon, a cappuccino is probably not what you want to order. (laughs) They're 17. They haven't learned that yet. (laughs) it's the same with like you don't want to order a hot chocolate if this is a place that does really good fry ups (laughs) yeah get a cup of tea if you only have a minute it's hard to mess up tea who do you want to bless Vanessa I want to bless the girls on the street who are being catcalled like Mm. they are just trying to have a nice night out and now they're scared and uncomfortable and that sucks. We're all supposed to be able to have these moments of relief, these moments of reprieve where we can just like go out with our friends and have fun. And like that is being interrupted for absolutely no reason other than three men want to entertain themselves by diminishing these women. And I just want to bless anyone who's just trying to go about their lives and like have a pleasant experience, whether you're a bird watcher in Central Park or any number of other things where you're just trying to go about your life and somebody else takes it upon themselves to assert their power and ruin your day. Well, you've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and join our Facebook common room to chat with other listeners about this episode. Or come and join the amazing group of people supporting us on Patreon. It is all of you who make this show possible. Please leave a review on iTunes. I read every single one, and you can always send us a voicemail to be featured on the show. And buy my book. It's on sale. The Power of Ritual. From July 26th to August 2nd, we are hosting an immersive online summer camp. It's Choose Your Own Adventure, and you can join us for the whole week for just the weekend or for one of the evening live shows. All information is at harrypottersacretext.com, and you can click on the big orange button. Next week, we'll be reading Chapter 10, Creature's Tale Through the Theme of Neglect. 
this episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text was produced by Not Sorry Productions. Our executive producer is the great Ariana Nadalvin, and our associate producer is Ariana Martinez, who's also pretty great. Our music, as always, is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Bull, and we are distributed by Acast. We'd like to thank Shannon for this week's voicemail, Julia Argy, Nikki Zoltan, Maggie Needham, Megan Kelly, and Stephanie Palsell, who just got a big fancy promotion. Congrats, Stephanie. We love you. We do, we do, we do. The more power you have in the world, the better the world becomes. Which is also where you can learn more about our summer camp. And we really hope to see a lot of you there. It's going to be awesome. It is going to be awesome. That is a fact. I'm so excited to attend. Scientists have proven, they've studied this for decades. It's verifiably going to be awesome. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Unfortunately, the scientists lost all their funding, so we had to pay for them. So whether or not, so just just think it's tobacco industry. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> it's like the tobacco industry only with Harry Potter camp and the sacred text. Yeah. <laughs>